But first, a little disclaimer. We are prefacing a lot of the appeal of this podcast on the fact that we're prosecutors. However, we need you to understand we are not doing this podcast in our professional capacity as prosecutors. We're doing this as people, after hours, on our own time, with our own equipment. Now, we know a lot about the law by virtue of what we do, uh, but we're also just interested in true crime. So our opinions and commentary in this podcast are not the opinions of our office or our employer. They are not our professional opinions, and nothing in this podcast should be construed as legal advice or anything other than three friends blowing off some steam together. So with that in mind, don't try this at home. You know what it is. This is Joe. And Cheryl. And I'm Ray. And this is No True Bill. On this episode of No True Bill, Joe is taking us to a town near and dear to all of our hearts because we all attended law school there, Morgantown, West Virginia. And he is going to tell us about a case of two undergrad co-eds who were brutally murdered there. And it's even more interesting, you know, beyond just the simple fact of what occurred, but that the case is yet still to this very day unfolding the investigation is underway there have been a lot of recent developments so buckle up it's gonna be a good one me 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 i'm nervous why you always say that right before you start recording one of your episodes i am because and we've had some we've had some feedback on the podcast (laughs) and they pretty tell they tell me what i know i'm a good mc Ray's got the color commentary down, but Cheryl (laughs) knows how to give a case. She knows how to do the case. And uh, this is going to be straight cliff notes. We've already talked about that a little bit. This is episode 13, and this case is close to home for us as proud West Virginians. Well, Ray, you're an adopted West Virginian. Yeah, I'm a transplant. We'll count it. Um, You nearly called him an imposter. And I appreciated that. <laughs> it's okay. I mean, you quitters are all Virginians. <laughs> <laughs> we in the best Virginia. Um, so this is a case that uh, I heard about while, uh, or I found a book. I found a book about this case and I went, why have I never heard about that? Um, because it seemed to be a rather infamous crime. It's a 1970 double murder of West Virginia University co-eds. Uh, yeah, from 1970 in Morgantown. And uh, for if you don't know, WVU, West Virginia University, is the uh, largest school in the state of West Virginia. Avoiding um, calling it the flagship school because yes. of your martial ties? Look, there are <laughs> other fantastic institutions in this state which of higher is accurate. education um but i mean you know west virginia university they get the name you know so that gives them like the extra it's university. like a handicap on you know the, the name of the state is in the school and uh you know marshall got a movie though so what do you know about that fantastic film Matthew McConaughey. Don't know if you ever heard of him. It is a fantastic film. <clears throat> the email Fuck y'all. Lot. We're proud Mountaineers. I wonder. Yeah, we are. We are. 
Mountaineer is always free. Um, so I had never heard about this uh, murder. And interesting thing, unofficial polling uh, in that I've talked to just about everybody I know. And the only people who knew about this case were people that knew about this case because of the book and, subs and, and podcast that had come out about it, um, which were my source materials for this. Um, the book... The book is The WVU Co-Ed Murders, Who Killed Merid and Karen, Jeffrey Fuller, and S. James McLaughlin. Uh, and the podcast is Appalachian Mysteria, I believe is the name of the podcast. They have other seasons, but season one of Appalachian Mysteria is the WVU Co-Ed Murders, and it's a podcast out of, out of Morgantown. That's um, a fantastic name. It's wonderful. And look, it is like really well produced and it's a um it's like a journalistic, you know, like scripted, very oh, just well put together primo. It's tight. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, you know, we're we're loosey goosey, but that's what we're we're not trying to be something we're not, you know. So it they're just it's we're a wonderful right. podcast. I highly recommend it. Uh and that was the funny thing. I got the book. And then I heard about the podcast and I'm a slow reader. So I've been reading the book. I don't read too good. I don't read too good. Like, uh, so I was, I was like, and I, and, and you got, I told you all about this. I told you all, I was going to read this book. And then when I was done with the book, I was going to take the easy route and listen to the podcast and try to get this other information, but I was going to read the book first. You, and then did you flip flop on that well, one? Well, <laughs> I ended up, I went on a fishing trip with my daddy and uh, there was a lot of road time and I like to listen to podcasts while I'm driving. And uh, so I was, I was like, well, I'll check it out instead of wasting this time. I'll at least, yeah. you know, yeah. And that is when I realized within 30 minutes of listening to the podcast that the people who made the podcast wrote the book it's the same people based upon the same uh research and and evidence and everything else so i really got a cliff notes version of the book while driving <clears throat> and then i got to and, and i'll be honest i never i haven't actually like fully fully finished Finish the book it. but i finished the podcast so i know what's good um but this is um a crime uh about well we'll start with what we know 1970 Morgantown, West by God, Virginia. We have two young ladies who are freshmen uh, at West Virginia University. Uh, Karen Farrell is 19 years old from Quinwood, West Virginia. Ray, I'm not even going to look at you because you no, don't look like the golden horseshoe type. Nah. Cheryl, any idea at the no. location of Quinwood, West Virginia? I've never heard of Quinwood. I had not heard of Quinwood. Um, Side note, I was looking at uh, dogs the other day and saw a dog for sale in Quinwood, West Virginia. So I had to look up where it was. And then I'm preparing for this. And I'm like, Quinwood, never heard of it before in my life. Lifelong West Virginian. So two where times. is it? Dude, life, life, Greenbrier life County. Like okay. Oh, okay. Greenbrier. <clears throat> uh, and so Karen was a uh, graduate of Greenbrier High School. Uh, her daddy was a coal miner. Um, this, this girl is primo West Virginia stock. Uh, she's a little thing. Uh, four foot eleven. Blonde hair. Um, she was named the homemaker of tomorrow in 1969 by the company General Mills. She won some form of competition. That's kind of amazing. Yeah, it's pretty dope. Um, and she seemed, uh, from from what I gathered, to be a very very kind, sweet girl. 
but uh, you know, kind of quiet, uh, had a dry sense of humor, um, and just seemed seemed very well liked. Uh, she was studying, I believe, since I didn't put it in my notes, I uh, want to say maybe psychology is what she was, what she was there at West Virginia for, but I mean, freshman year, second semester, um, yeah, she don't know, you don't know. And then she's taken basic classes and everything else. Uh, but all right. So that's Karen. Karen is our West Virginia gal. So we care about her more. Uh, that's not true. <laughs> that's not true at all. That's not true. Uh, Merid Malaric. <laughs> West Virginia people are prideful people. <laughs> um, Merid Malaric, I believe is how you pronounce that. M-A-L-A-R-I-K. Uh, Can we just call her Mary, please? I hate that name. Mer- Mary? Merid. Merid. M-A-R-E-D. I kind of like it. Merid. I think it's cute. Yeah. Merid got murdered. What? Um, we haven't got there in the story yet. Oh, sorry. I guess I'm spoiling. You're jumping ahead. Sorry. Now, here's what blew my mind. Uh, or not blew my mind. I just found it funny. Merid or Mary. Jared. <laughs> Jared. Um, from New Jersey. Oh. And I just thought, wow. Does I- she drive a Jeep Cherokee? <laughs> green in color and will not stop for people crossing in front of the mountain lake. Yeah, yeah maybe. That's du- what I associate. Double park on high street. Yeah. yeah. WVU <clears throat> students from New Jersey. That's what I associate you with. I just now granted, you know, I did. I went to Marshall for undergrad. I just. <clears throat> The the ratio of Jersey folks in Morgantown, mm-hmm. and then to see 1970, we got ourselves a Jersey girl in Morgantown. That out of state I, tuition, man. Apparently so. It's not a new thing uh, that Mar- uh, Morgantown has a lot of Jersey folks. Um, so Mary was uh, 20 years old. Now she came from a little bit different circumstance. She was from New Jersey. Uh, her daddy was a dentist. Uh, they seem to be wealthy, uh, gated community, that kind of thing, private schools. Uh, she was tall, described as tall, slender, with brown hair. Uh, also further described as fun and bubbly, a bit of an extrovert. And uh, she hit it off really well with Karen because they were kind of kind of opposite you know? Mm. Um, uh, she really seemed to appreciate Karen's dry sense of humor, uh, and they were fast friends at West Virginia University. Uh, nothing to suggest that either one of them had any enemies of any kind. They were living in a place called Westchester Hall, which does not exist anymore. Um, it had a companion dorm, which was Carlisle Hall, and together they were called Beverly Manor. And I've tried a little bit, and, and by a little bit I mean like 15 minutes on my lunch break today, to determine where these dorms were located on campus uh, and... The best I could get was maybe uh, Sunnyside-ish. I, okay. Okay. I, I, but because I found a thing on a Facebook page that was like Sunnyside Memories, and it was uh, showing a picture of them building Beverly Manor or something. Hmm. Um, and and that leads me to another thing is that uh, for those of us moderately familiar with Morgantown, I mean, first off, I. You've you've been out the Morgantown game for for a number of years. We dropped it on the intro, but we know how long it's been. Yes, and I have been back since then, and I don't recognize it from when I went there. Right. So I cannot imagine how it has changed since 1970. That's that's where I'm hitting at. It, it's. Yeah, I mean, I, my God, the law school looks different from when I was there, which feels like not that long ago, but it turns out I guess it was. Yeah. I mean, I graduated in 15, and when I go through Morgantown with the infrastructure changes yeah. and so forth, I don't know how to get around. Interchanges are totally different. It's it's not the same town. 
everybody feels a certain way about roundabouts. Yeah. Um, but yeah, think about it, how different it's been since we got out. Um, this is 50 years think, ago. Yeah, think about 1970. <laughs> uh, so, and one of the interesting things about this case is, of course, 1970, there was no PRT, hmm. the uh, it, personal rapid transport. Something like that. Perhaps. The monorail. The mo it is a monorail that goes through the town of Morgantown, uh, designed, I believe, by Boeing. Uh, first of its kind and only of its kind that I'm aware of in the United States. Uh, and the reason that there is a... Oh, so if you don't know, now you know. PRT. <laughs> um, you know, I never rode the PRT. Me neither. Not once. Yeah, not once. I mean, we really? were just there for law school. Yeah. So it's really more for undergrads. I yeah. Think. I was going to say, I rode the PRT really only a couple of times. Mm -hmm. um, but that's because, you know, I was housed downtown on campus and all of my classes were downtown. See, I didn't have to go to this Evansville is the segue. very, this very is, much. This is, oh, you guys so, are wonderful. So you didn't, you didn't ride it to go like to football games and stuff over That was the only occasion in which ah, I wrote it. And I, I think I only game. wrote it for a football game like twice. Because mm. I mean, that's great and all, but I mean, I'd love to have a car so that I can escape whenever I want to and go wherever I want. Run it. I'm weird. But yeah, for like, <clears throat> for me and you only there for law school, yeah. I mean, football stadiums right next to the law, law school. school like yeah. why do you, why do you need to ride this little space car to well, uh, downtown but for many of the undergraduates yeah, that was at their west way. virginia university mm -hmm. because uh i don't i've always described it now granted i was a marshall guy and so if you don't know there's a little bit of tension between marshall and west virginia um they've got that so. big brother and you know there's a big brother little brother thing that's kind of weird and there's chippy um well and that's because we have pitted ourselves against each other mm. for the most part unnecessarily even so. so much that the legislature mandated that we have to play each other in football <laughs> for a while that was a thing uh, <laughs> i mean i'd like to see them play again interstate rivalries are it's, uh, healthy. it's common and and i tell you what when those games came you know came up I think the state as a whole got hype. I mean, a lot of WU people are like, I can't believe we have to play Marshall. It's a waste in the calendar. I but never, they said that, but they got hype. They I was going to say, I never felt that way. I love Marshall. They're a state school. Yeah, and, you know, they're West Virginia. Yeah. If they're West Virginia, mm. I love them. Mm. That's just the way this works. God, I love you. <laughs> There's, um, but what, okay. So what I was going to say, though, is as a Marshall guy, one of the, one of the things that we always made fun of West Virginia for the West Virginia university is that it appears if you look at a map of the a university map of the buildings of the university, it appears as though someone vomited on a map yeah. and they called it Morgantown. So strewn about that is the worst <laughs> town like that. Y'all, if you've never been there, you don't understand how terrible the infrastructure is. It's They're like, they were better. like, okay, we're going to put it right on this river. What's the hilliest part of this area? <laughs> right. The hilliest, just <laughs> steepest grade right along the river. This looks perfect. Yeah. We'll put a town here, a college town, no less. Yes. And we won't we won't put the entire university within a certain, you know, however many block radius. We'll no. just, we'll put one building a mile over here and right. we'll put this over there. And, and so you end up having this split campus of a downtown campus and an Evansdale campus. And, um... And, and because that, of the topography, it makes it oh, almost impossible to walk from downtown to Evansville is, in any short period of that time. Is, that is true. Yeah. Yeah. And because and it, the hills. Oh, the hills. 
but I mean, lead to nice. You'd almost the easiest way. (laughs) The easiest way would be walking down to Beechhurst and then walking across toward like where the Coliseum is. Yeah. Less hills that way. That's true. Down by the river. True. Down by the river. In a van. Down by the river. But, you know, back. So. So now kids use the PRT to get from one side of. You say it's, it's campus, but you're the town, like the city of Morgantown. You're getting from one side to the other to go to classes and go to your, your dorms and stuff. Uh, but but that didn't exist in 1970. And so you were either driving a car, which, I mean, the number of students that had cars back then was far less than what we see today. Um, and so you were either walking. There were some bus routes that went. Um, but, you know, if it didn't. What what ended up happening was a lot of folks ended up standing out by the mountain lair, throwing that thumb out, hitchhiking, and they was hitchhiking. I, I suspected that might be the case. I mean, you know, in nineteen seventy, yeah. different time, um, and uh, so people would catch rides going up the Dagon Hill uh, to go to the other side of campus, and uh, so that's a little different, obviously, than it is today. We we know hitchhiking is a poor decision, um, but oh, I wanted to bring this up too. Something else different about 1970, um, being a woman in 1970 sounds really difficult to me. Uh, just obviously, you know, ultimately we're going to be talking about uh, a double murder uh, in the 60 days after the girl's disappearance, which we haven't gotten to yet. But I just I put this stat in here. There were in Morgantown, there were 38 reports of attempted abductions, indecent exposures, obscene phone calls and, quote, molesting attempts to women in Morgantown in 60 days, 38 reports, 1970. There, there was there was like 12 people in the whole town itself back then. They were all just apparently <laughs> sex offenders. Sex offenders. Just all every, of them. Every last one College of them. dudes have their penises out a lot. <laughs> I'm glad that hasn't changed. Back then, you, you couldn't text someone a dick pic. You no. had to just show it. <laughs> You know what I mean? It's like the 1970 equivalent of a dick pic is just zipping. Just just pulling it out. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes you just got to pull it out. Uh, (laughs) No, you don't. (laughs) Not anymore. I mean, there was there was an even finer line back then between, you know, taking your shot and (laughs) committing a crime. (laughs) Shoot your shot, baby. Um, Well, and and I just want to to set the scene for how different Morgantown was. I I wanted to give that and I wanted to give uh, also... You know what else was going on? Going that on that shit is still happening, by the way. Well, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. Um, Out of curiosity, did they say what the the student body population was back then? I'm sure they did. Right? I mean, it's what like. <laughs> <laughs> You're not anticipating our Damn questions, it. Joseph. Damn was it like no. somewhere? I mean, it's somewhere in the neighborhood of what, like thirty five, forty thousand now, of the town, the the student body population, uh, the university population. I you mean, know, I don't even know. <clears throat> I don't know. Cheryl, Cheryl's I mean, going to get on the Google machines. The thing with Google WVU machines. is, I mean, being this, being a state school, you've got the the undergrad population, but then you have all the professional schools too. Right. So if you take the university as a whole, it's a pretty it's healthy a lot population. <laughs> but I imagine back fifty two years ago that it was quite a bit less. I would I would agree, and I'm sure maybe maybe Cheryl can find that for us. But uh, you know, other things that are going on at the time in 1970, things that are in the news and people's minds. Uh, the Tate LaBianca murders had just happened. So there was this little bit of fear of hippie, hippie culture, weird murder hippies 
um, were apparently becoming a thing that people were thinking about. Uh, Zodiac was doing his thing out west. Um, but let's bring it a little closer to home because I had never heard about this either. This is a little side spinoff that was in the book that I was not aware of. Uh, January 2 of 1970, a guy named Joe Larita Jr. He's the elected prosecutor of Mon County. Uh, he goes out. The county in which Morgantown yes, is located. Yes. Uh, Montague County, lovingly referred to as Mon County. Uh, the elected prosecutor, my man, Mr. Larita, he gets into his car out in front of his house. Um, he's going to go to work. He turns the key. Boom. Kaboom. Wow. Right? Had you ever heard that? No. Kaboomsies. Dude, for just car bombing prosecutors in Morgantown, West Virginia. Yes. In 1970, Morgantown, West Virginia. Damn. Um, what? That's yeah, that's right? Some, ah, right? That's some wild shit. Yeah. Just drop that one on you because yeah. it sets the tone for what how this investigation starts, where the resources are, what's going on. Because let me tell you, it was a big deal that that prosecutor got blowed up. He didn't die. I mean, I, it should be. <laughs> Who blows like, up let me, a prosecutor? Let me tell you, people cared about that. <laughs> <laughs> people cared about this IRA car bombing in, in Morgantown. <laughs> and I just, I'm as a prosecutor too, I'm, I, I've never heard of this murder, never heard of this car bombing. Um, but so, so dude, dude made it. Oh yeah. Yeah. I don't know if I read this or in my head. I, I don't, I don't think I read details of his, I mean, I just assume like you guys legs blown off. I don't <laughs> I'm like, I don't know if that's true. I don't, it's probably not. Maybe it was like that. That's no, I bet in, he didn't get his legs blown off actually. And I'll tell you why. Maybe it was like the car bomb scene in, uh, toward the end of casino where they didn't uh, realize there was a metal plate under the driver's seat and it right. saved him. It just burned his suit. Just bur Yeah. 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 I don't know. Maybe. Could be. Well, this one blew out, uh, to the side, toward the passenger side. Huh. So apparently had his wife Amateur ridden. Hour. Yeah, had his wife gotten in the passenger seat like I, apparently she normally did, she would have been dead AF. Hmm. But he survived um, and he had ran <clears throat> his campaign on being tough on the crime in uh, Morgantown. But apparently the criming in Mon County, there was just a lot of, uh, I think, like gambling hmm. and maybe, maybe a little bit of like with gambling normally comes some form of organized crime and flexing and stuff like that. And, and uh, you know, he's saying we're going to be tough on this. Um, spoiler alert. Turns out, I think it was just a love triangle. I think he was uh, dipping his wick or somebody was dipping their wick in his basket and wanted to take him out. And it was just, it was over a woman, but well, that's dumb. Um, I was hoping there would be a, I know spoiler alert mafia connection, but they didn't know that at the time. Right. And so it's, it's big like, Oh, what is this? And, um, and so they actually sent uh, they sent some some state police people over there to do this investigation. Like you're going to post up in Mon County till you find out who came after our boy. And um, so that's going on uh, right as the new year comes in 1970. And the new semester in at WVU started on January 8th. Um, and then that brings us to January 18th of 1970. It is a Sunday. Uh, these girls. Mary and Karen, uh, they decided they were going to go to a movie that night on a Sunday evening, find something to do. Uh, they went up down the halls of their dormitory. Yo, what up, girls? You want to go see this bomb flick? Um, and they they didn't get any love from within the uh, dorm room itself. So they went down, but they, they did have friends there with them. Their homies, Skip and Itzy. 
there were a couple, Skip and Itsy. I, I, I assume Itsy is a, the girl? A, yeah, yeah. Okay. Skip is the dude. Itsy is the gal. I Was she small and they called her Itsy because she was Itsy Bitsy? I just love it. I don't know. I love the names. Just absurd names. Skip and Itsy. I love it. <laughs> Skip and Itsy and married and we all just went down to the cinema. <laughs> Mm. to the theater to the theater that's <laughs> you, yes sir wait you're from virginia will you stop giving us all <laughs> thick accents i mean as i say in my thick accent <laughs> well, you, i mean <laughs> you stop giving it's us all the theater to the theater don't worry my my grandmama from from southeastern west virginia and it is thick <laughs> <laughs> two c's <laughs> yeah yeah the accent got two c's on it so um they went to see the film oliva was oh, playing okay. off of uh, some some movie theater down the High Street way. Okay. And uh, movie concludes at about 10.30 in the p.m. And uh, <clears throat> they come out. Merritt and Karen are with Skip and Itzy. And they are trying to get back home, you know, call it a night. And uh, Skip and Itzy, they had some, maybe they're going to ride the bus, I believe, because of wherever they were going, the bus route was going to go there, but there was no uh, bus route to get to Westchester Hall. And so Merritt and Karen said, no, nah, we're not going to ride the bus. We're thumbing, is what they told Skip and Itzy. So uh, they kind of are walking in their separate directions, but Skip and Itzy keep kind of just occasionally looking back over their shoulder and looking at the girls who are on University Avenue, uh, okay. thumb out, ready to go. Apparently the place to thumb it was that island in front of mountain lair uh, okay that, yeah yeah that's really like that makes kids, sense kids would post up in there and then you go could get coming it, and going coming and ways. going yeah, Got yeah, yeah. boom mm -hmm. yeah and there was actually a name for that island that i forget <laughs> um it's in the book you should read the book uh <laughs> 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 I can't with you. I know. I told you I wasn't gonna be ready. So but those are interesting tidbits. I would like to know. It's an interesting tidbit. It's okay, it's you something will, I. You, you said this will be a multi-parter, so maybe it will. We we'll can come start back. off this. Write down all these with, questions, yes. and when you come back, you have some answers. Yes, <laughs> you have some answers. <laughs> yes, ma'am. <laughs> Look up the island. Yeah. Um. So, uh, Skip, I believe, looks back and sees a light-colored vehicle. Uh, stopped at the intersection of Willie Street and University. Approximately, if you're thinking in your brain space, where the, uh, I think there's a library right there, down just below the mountain there. Um, he sees the girls getting into that vehicle, light in color, often described as white or off-white uh, sedan, and uh, they faces are never to be seen again. That was mm. the last anyone saw of them. So um, folks uh, back at the dormitory find that things are, uh, that there's some kind of issue going on when the girls don't come in for curfew. Because when you live in a dorm in 1970, you have a curfew. I was actually thinking about that. I was going to make a joke about it when you said they left the theaters at 1030. I was like, do they let women out on the streets that late? <laughs> <laughs> in, in 1970, but hmm. yeah, interesting. Yeah. So, the, so the RA was like where they is, though. Yes. And then they start calling around to some friends and, and, well, and they go room by room through the dorm to make sure that the gals just didn't lose track of time with the friends in the room. Apparently that can happen. And uh, 
uh, no <clears throat> dice. So I believe it was um, they gave him they gave him the night, and then it was sometime the next morning. I think that the the RA or, or someone associated with the university calls the law, and the police response in this case um, is something something to be discussed. Uh, you know, we talked about Morgantown was different in 1970. America was different in 1970. Policing was a lot different in 1970. I, mean, um, I can imagine without, I mean, not trying to spoil it, but I can imagine they didn't give two shits. Yeah. They yeah. were like, oh, you're saying in a college town that girls, uh, you know, a party Stay in age didn't come back home in the morning. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, could, I could absolutely see that happening. And then, but as the days <clears throat> wore on, um, what they also did, and, and the initial uh, investigating agency was uh, Morgantown PD. PD, and the PD um, took the stance that they thought that the girls just pieced out voluntarily. Um, and what for? On what basis? Yeah, they just, uh, well, they hippies, just quit school hippies on a whim after hippies. a movie. They were like, oh, they we're, were hippies, we're out. but no, but hippies exist. And they I was going to say neither. You didn't describe either of them as hippies. No. You described oh, so one you know, as they, they got the... swept up in the counterculture yeah. sort of this yeah. but after, you know, that's normally what happens at 1030 after a movie. Yes. And um, mind you, this is in the face. When they of... indicate to their friends they're going home. <laughs> right. Yes. We go on home and they're like, you know what? Matter of fact. We bet yeah, they bounced. We, 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 let's get one of them VW buses and just get the fuck out of here. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to mm-hmm. change, change your latitude, change your attitude. Know what I mean? Yeah. Um, feel that so this was their position which they until um until a a point that we will discuss later they really dug in on this they dug their heels in on on the hippie theory on these girls they just look don't worry about it in spite of the fact that there were no clothes missing from their rooms except for the clothes that they had on but you know hippies they don't don't bathe or change them yeah whatever uh no makeup missing but they don't need makeup in the hippie commune uh, they had invited other girls to go to the movie with them um, and had mentioned nothing about leaving. Uh, neither girl had taken much money with them except for what was uh, necessary to get to the film. Uh, there were no action. There was no action on any of the girls' bank accounts since they were last seen. And uh, both of them were doing fine in school. They had both had perfectly acceptable first semesters and the second semester you know, we were barely a couple weeks in. And they literally told Skip and Itzy they were going back to the dorm. Yeah. 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 You uh, said the one homegirl was 20, right? Yeah. She was a freshman also? Yes. Oh, okay. So just went a little, took a took a year sabbatical or something. Something like that. High school. Mm-hmm. Or or perhaps had just turned uh, 20. Or the, and, and actually, I will say, oh, ooh, so um, in the book, they talk about this, uh, and I don't remember what the right answer is, but they were they were both. I know Karen was 19, and Merritt was either 19 or 20. Different sources have her birthday is different. Oh, interesting. Um, so, okay. but, you know, young young gals. Uh-huh. And um, I felt this would be a good place to put in, uh, talking about this initial investigation, a quote from the Herald Dispatch from from Huntington, where, where Marshall is. Uh, <laughs> The apparent, this is a quote, direct quote, the apparent indifference and ineptness of police and school authorities in this case defies rational explanation. Uh, that's, and was that from 1970, yeah, say, like the was, time? This was, well, this, this from slightly, yes, from 1970, um, a couple months later Damn. when things It happened. took them months to do anything? Well, <laughs> yes. Months? Yes. Well, and I, uh, 
so uh, Morgantown PD never really uh, did much. In fact, uh, on March 1, so they their last scene, January 18, and then nothing. March 1, uh, this 13-year-old kid, Stephen Trickett, hey, I took, wrote that name down, um, is walking in a field off of 119 Grafton Road, um, south of Morgantown. Mm -hmm. And he and his sister are collecting soda bottles to go recycle, stuff that people have thrown out of their cars on 119. Uh, while chilling around in this area, March 1, he finds a purse. It's wet. The zipper is half-fast rusted. Uh, opens it up. It is Merid's purse. Her ID is in there. Her uh, little pocketbook with some money is in there. Mm. Um, they called the law, brought it to Morgantown PD. Morgantown, the investigating officer, um, he put it on a cabinet, on set it on top of a cabinet in his office, and he sat it there because hippies hippies don't need. Uh, I swear <laughs> to God. You have to be joking. No, ma'am. No, ma'am. Oh, my God. Now, I told you at the beginning, January 2, I believe it was, is when the prosecutor got blowed up. And there were some state police that came into town and posted up just for that. Well, uh, a little bit later on, I believe probably closer to April, uh, there was the go the governor was getting some some heat about these missing gals and the police response. Yeah, they're fucking gone and no one will do anything. Yeah, that was the that was the vibe. And so uh, <coughs> all these calls to the governor, who was Arch Moore at the time. Um, and uh, so he's like, okay, 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 okay. You guys, those, I got a couple troops uh, in Morgantown working this prosecutor case. Uh, I'm going to shed some of them over to maybe help out these Morgantown PD, see what's going on. And uh, that was involved a trooper, Gooden, G-O-O-D-E-N. He was a good. He was a good. God, you stole. I had that written down. <laughs> Did you really? Sorry. <laughs> God bless. <laughs> Check. <laughs> Frustrated. Check mark. <laughs> that was the legit thing that happened. <laughs> So he uh, <laughs> he comes in and he tries to talk with the lead investigator um, and he calls him and he's like, hey, I'm Trooper Gooden. I'd like to meet with you, uh, such and such and such. <laughs> Calls aren't returned. And so he just shows up and he's like, hey, buddy. Hey, why are you ghosting me, dog? I've been. Hello, friend. <laughs> hey, and he's he's. Uh, he had heard rumors, the trooper had, had heard rumors about a purse. My, this part, I mean, the papers are writing about these missing girls now, blah, blah, blah. Uh, Morgantown PD is just digging just, the heels just in. Just doesn't give a They're shit. They're just, these Man, girls, these remarkable. girls just yeeted on their own accord. And, um, and there had been like, you know, rumor mills going on. There was something, it hadn't been in the papers, but there was something about maybe this purse. So dude right? looks over and sees like an old, dirty, wet, yeah, he goes and he's like, and it's like, oh my god! And he goes, tell, tell me that ain't what I think it is, bro. Tell and he me. like sees it over his shoulder. He's like, is that that purse right there, though? <laughs> Do you have evidence that's it, just on a cabinet? Yeah, it's now. Granted, this was you know long before the times of oh, DNA, DNA and everything yeah. else, mm -hmm. but uh, yeah, he was not pleased. Uh, Trooper Gooden was um, 
was a wee bit upset about how the investigation had been going. What investigation? <laughs> and so state police is like, we are here. This is this is my baby now. Uh, Gooden is like, we're going to do some work. And get it. They were getting calls, um, uh, you know, tips about uh, people allegedly seeing the girls. And here's the craziness of the times. Um, there was some tip about the girls being seen with a trucker in Kentucky. And these these investigating troopers get in their vehicles and drive to like truck stops in Kentucky and do like photo lineups and stuff on when these are girls and which way were they going and yada, yada, yada. And it ends up being a total, total time waster. Um, but they're huge time wasters. And because they don't, you know, we've adapted now with technology and communication to the point that we can, you know, that the ability to do an APB and to put stuff out and have other law enforcement agencies working together, looking for folks. Um, it just wasn't that way, I guess, uh, back then. So they were chasing around a bunch of uh, really pointless leads that ended up being time wasters. Uh, and then April 8th, April 8th of 1970, there's a letter that comes in the mail. Let me find it. I wasn't going to copy it verbatim, so I just have it here in the, in the book. So also, just out of curiosity, <clears throat> prior to this letter letter arriving and, and presumably you know being a lead in the case or, or something, mm -hmm. you said how how many dudes was was good and rolling with? Was uh, it, a mean, handful, just like a few dudes, handful of dudes. Yeah, and reporting back uh, via public service to Charleston as to what's going on and, uh, public services, the phone. Sorry. Yes, ma'am. Yeah. So, so not only do we have, <laughs> if you don't know, yeah, now you, you know, know public, public service. service, I still don't understand why the hell they can't just say, can you call me? Can you right. give me a public service, sir? You sound like an idiot, but, um, but so not only do we have the, the communication and just sort of technology shortcomings back then, there was a woeful lack of manpower. The, the resources yes. that were available at the time were not allocated to this. They were like, all right, because uh, it's getting some heat in the paper. I'll give you like three full troopers. Yeah. But that's all you got, dog. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, like, I, I have to assume, I don't remember, but I mean, in a municipal context, the mayor would be the dude who is in charge of Martinsburg or uh, Martinsburg <laughs> of, of Morgantown PD. Um, he, you know, would appoint the chief of police and whatever. Yeah. There was no political backlash in, I mean, the, the town was just so consumed by this car bombing that like nobody on the local electorate front was like, bro, y'all going to look into these girls or your heads are rolling next election. There you know was, there were, there were protests, uh, but they were, they were not about that. <clears throat> they were not about like, from what I Remember, it just seems weird was, to me that like there's traction in Charleston such that the governor's like, all right, right I'm going to send some troops your way. But on like the home front right there that the everybody front, was indifferent. The home front was about we need more buses. We need you the university. You need to do a better job at protecting your students. And what you need to do is make it so they don't need to hitchhike to get from one end of this godforsaken campus to the other. And you need to increase the bus routes. And you need to make it free for students. You need to make it easy so, it so like that they're not hitchhiking. Systemic protests yes. about like transportation issues and whatever. But these two girls that are probably the catalyst for our protest, meh, whatever. Yeah. Okay. Makes yeah. sense. Well, I mean, everybody's pretty much. So it seems as though while the the police position is what it is, that's the 
it's solely the police position and that everyone else is like, yeah, no, none of this really jives I just whatsoever. I don't understand how the police can be so. Different times, man. Just, I mean, I guess, but different like time. I said, at the end of the day, even if there, it is a different time, like y'all can see that the, that the electorate, the citizenry is pissed. Yeah. And at least at the upper echelons of law enforcement, even in the municipal context, y'all heads are going to roll if you don't do something. You know, and just to be like, man, don't care still. But like, I mean, that's crazy. all of the things that you set forth, mm -hmm. it's pretty clear these girls just didn't decide to take off on a whim. I don't right. know, Cheryl. You're, I, I think you're jumping to conclusions. <laughs> well, and I think, okay, so, and I'm not trying to defend them, uh, these officers or anything, but like Morgantown police officers, 1970, they're oh, scooping, are scooping drunk people off the road. Right. They're doing, you know, they're... I, I, they ain't made for this. Also, well, that's, I was going to ask you about that earlier, too. Do you have any idea what the department size was back then? Are we talking like eight? I don't remember the department size. I, I do recall uh, reading that um, I, there was a small percentage of officers that had achieved a high school equivalency or graduated high school. Oh, my God. The majority of them, I remember something along those lines. The numbers were there was no incentive for for education within law enforcement a small number attained the equivalency of a high school diploma yeah i don't think there were like any college educated folks and and i think that the majority that that's how i remember reading it i could if i'm wrong i'll correct it on the next Dear episode god that's appalling I, and let me say again i know college kids are wild and they're gonna stay out all night i don't think they're necessarily wrong for like that next day going right. ah, yeah. ah, right. let, let's see let's see about this you ever puked in front of a morgantown cop Probably, but I don't yeah. remember. Um, I was too I, drunk. <laughs> also, I I went to uh, WVU in the nineties, and let me tell you that's that a, that's my a big time. my sophomore year, my roommates uh, left Morgantown to run off with a man whose job it was to donate plasma, and that is not a job. <laughs> um, that's, that's, that's what that's, that's what the millennials awesome. call a side hustle. Yeah, right. So I mean, do kids do? weird things and take off because they don't know what to do with this freedom they have. Sure. It can happen. But these kids don't seem like wild kids. They never no. indicated to their roommates that they was going to run off somewhere. Right. They had just left two friends and told them specifically they were going home. So I while, would... while I understand kids do some crazy shit, I think with just a few conversations with people, they would have figured out very quickly that these weren't two kids who did some crazy shit. Yeah. And yeah. that that connection, that secondary, you have your initial response and then there's that secondary. Ooh, but wait, maybe the, that, maybe that's we what should never, ask some questions just that, in case that part didn't yeah. happen. I would think after, I don't know, three, four five days, even back then with that kind of mentality, I'd be like, all right, but they're not back yet. Yeah. And. There's there, like you said, there was no outward indication that they, that they were, were leaving their own volition. Yeah. So where they is. Mm -hmm. hmm. Indeed. And now that brings us to the letter. The letter is dated April 8, 1970. Now, mind you, as recently as December of 1969, so December of the previous year, the Zodiac killer had been mailing in letters um, about stuff. And actually... A little bit after this letter, the Zodiac Killer mailed another letter in going on. So this is all public stuff, stuff people are talking about. I mean, out west and everything. But um, 
I will now read you the letter. Please do. <clears throat> April 8, 1970. Gentlemen, I have information on the whereabouts of the bodies of the two missing West Virginia University co-eds, Merritt and Karen. Follow directions very carefully to the nth degree, and you cannot fail to find them. Proceed 25 miles directly south from the southern line of Morgantown. This will bring you to a wooded forest land. Enter into the forest exactly one mile. There are the bodies. 25 plus 1 equals 26 miles total. Will reveal myself when the bodies are located. Sincerely, Triangle. It's like like the defendant symbol that we use. Right, right, right. Sincerely. Delta, yes. Yes, golly. Sincerely. <laughs> Delta. My my fraternity had Delta in it. You think I would? I know the fraternity. This is not in a sorority, but I I know. Man, that look at you see them three D. triangles walking down the street, <laughs> bruh. You mean you mean tri delta dog? What you talking about? Oh. Triple tries, triple tries, triple tries. <laughs> so. uh Right. <laughs> uh, so, we have three triangles. Oh my gosh! I, this is why I get nervous for doing these. Did you these, see the base on that triangle? You know, damn. Isosceles. <laughs> Yo, girl, what your hypotenuse? Isosceles. What your hypotenuse is? God, I hate you. <laughs> she was really acute. Oh, yeah, she was. Wow. Sorry, I had to make the dad joke. Oh, stop being so obtuse. Now, uh, <laughs> <God damn>. <laughs> <laughs> so obviously, if you were if you were listening to that letter, if you're if the officers are reading this letter, uh, which is they're they're told. Follow the directions the very southern carefully line of to the nth degree. Yeah, what does that but mean? Then, Where on the southern line do you start? That was the question for them. Uh, it 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 speaks of specificity, but then is incredibly vague. Right. Indeed. Um, and uh, you know, we'll bring you to a wooded forest land. Enter the forest in what direction, Homeboy? Right. Um, exactly one mile. There are the bodies. Um, so it was weird. Uh, a very weird letter. I suppose no return address, nothing like that on the envelope. Well, like the, and just nothing. golly, you know, there was no return address, but there was a postmark. Okay. Cumberland, Maryland. Oh, snap. Cumberland, Maryland postmark. I'm very familiar with Cumberland, Maryland. Indeed. Indeed you are. Um, so uh, very quickly thereafter, one letter wasn't enough. We get a second letter that was mailed on the 10th. So the first one is is uh, did he realize his vagueness and want to be more specific? <clears throat> I will read addendum. <laughs> April ten. In my haste to send my last <laughs> letter, try. <laughs> well, apparently, so apparently there had been uh, a story in the paper uh, in in the day in between. So he mailed it on the eighth. I guess they must have got it. On the ninth, did he also send the letter the... to the reporters, like the, the <clears throat> yeah. newspaper, media, or and just police. to the police? I think it went just to the police. Okay. Um, yeah. And police are just releasing letters. <clears throat> yeah, right. With a quickness, I guess. Gentlemen, and if I'm wrong on that, I'll correct it next episode. Gentlemen, 
I saw the article in this morning's newspaper concerning my previous letter in the two missing co on the two missing coeds. This is an actual picture of the letter and it's in cursive and uh, it's a little small. So I'm gonna try the other one they wrote out. This one they did not. I gotta read no, the original. No transcription. So <clears throat> if you reread my first letter carefully, you will see the directions were specific. <laughs> what? <clears throat> Yes, yeah. Instead of actually giving more, he's calling he's them out angry for not understanding. Because they're apparently stupid. Yes. Y'all some ignorant motherfuckers. Indeed. Don't be coming to my boy good and like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, right. That's what he's doing. These directions were specific. Directly south from the city. Uh, something the southern limit of Morgantown, West Virginia. Straight south. 25 miles. You will come to a forest woodland. Enter in and... South one mile. This so is he did 1970. Add... You can't just go on Google mm -mm. and type in Morgantown and wherever they put the pin is <laughs> yeah. where you go 25 miles from. And you got that. Fanning out, you will locate the bodies of the girls covered over with brush. Look carefully. The animals are now on the move. Because, And if you think about it, this is April. Coming uh... through the thaw, animals are going to start to be a thing. Yeah. Wrong. Coming out there, hibernation. Uh, do tr I think this is I, but it looks like do, do trust this will help you out. Okay. Yeah. Do trust this will help you out to exact location. Mm. All right. I will still identify myself when the bodies are located. And then he drew a little map. Little two inch by two inch mappy map. But it's just a dot. That says Morgantown. And a line. Yeah. You don't specify what the southern line, mm -mm. where on the southern line we going from. Mm -mm. It's not. I, mm. It's not helpful. It's not helpful. Uh, that was April 10, 1970. Uh, how many same. roads are there in Morgantown at this point? <clears throat> like how many routes south are there from Morgantown? I think it's the the, the one nineteen seems to be the jump. It seems then. to be the one everybody saw. I was yeah. gonna say, and that's where the purse was. Indeed. So did they finally just go like, well, let's just fucking drive 25 miles and see where we are. Well, let me tell you. Was the second letter before we uh, move on? Oh, yeah. Also was it signed also Delta. Cumberland? Yes. Okay. All right. Interesting. Signed Delta. Anybody call from... anybody in Cumberland and be like, yo, any weirdos? Well, Cumberland, you're going to get word. all mail from the panhandle. Well, from like Mineral County, I mm -hmm. imagine. I know Mineral County because that's where I grew up. Mm -hmm. Um so I know our mail used to go through Cumberland and uh, out all the time. Oh, okay, interesting. Indeed. I did not know that. That's where our our sorting facility, I guess, is. I was unawares. Or was I don't know. Although is that where the is that what gets the postmark then? Or does I think the postmark so. come from where it's like oh, bless you exactly Thank where it's dropped? I, bro, I don't know. How like I, don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how it works. We need to call the uh, what 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 are the feds that just do with the postal service? Yeah, um, postal inspectors. So yeah, there's inspectorinos. Um, all right, so about two miles north of where that purse was found, some kids out there find eyeglasses and an eyeglass case. And there's a maker's mark on the glasses. They are from a glass manufacturer, a corrective lenses from New Jersey. Oh. And they appear to match what uh, uh, Mary... Uh, what her eyeglasses were or hmm. the ones that she had. Uh, now, this is really, really interesting, too, because this discovery comes out. 
Uh, and I believe it was also similar to the the purse, which was, if I didn't mention it, about 20 feet off of the roadside, off of uh, that, that main road, Goshen Road, you know, whatever mm-hmm. they... Oh, yeah. 119. Uh-huh. Um, and uh, similarly, I believe it was off that road, uh, but it was two miles north of where the purse was found. Um, our, our man, Trooper Good, he hears about this by watching the evening news. Oh my God. Because the Morgantown PD, like they're the ones that got the call and they go out and, and hippies they, don't wear glasses. And they've got, well, no, they've got, they've got officers out in the field looking for stuff. And the now lead investigator sees it on the evening news and goes, they didn't call him. What the? No, no, they didn't call. So them. now they want to investigate. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-mm. Mm-hmm. Nope. Mm-hmm. Oh, there's about to, there's about to be a turf war. Indeed. I'm ready. It's about to be a cop fight. So, <laughs> so uh, April 16th, 1970, uh, we've had ramped up search efforts during uh, during this time after we've found, uh, found all those things. Um, ramped up search efforts. And in this area, we've got National Guardsmen out here that the governor uh, got down. And okay. we're they're, we're trying to get serious here about these these gals uh, off of Goshen Road. I just I wrote this down because there's a nearby 4 H camp. Oh, Camp Muffley. Sounds a unique name. Muffley. Um, so there's uh, this guardsman walking around, and uh, Cheryl's like, "So what's the name of that island where everybody hitchhiked? That's like part of the story." I don't know. Yo, but there's a nearby camp. It's called Muffledo. <laughs> it's not relevant at all, but it said Muffledo. It made me laugh. <laughs> so I wrote it down. Thank you, Ray. He's so right. He's so right. Thank you for calling that out. Yeah, I, I threw the shade for you, sure. Don't worry. I, I, can that. Feel, I can see it in her eyes. I appreciate that. <laughs> oh, heavens. Heavens to Bitsy. Uh, <laughs> and Skip. And Skip. Oh, Skip. So this guardsman is out there. He, uh, this is an area, um, that is owned at the time, I believe, by uh, Consol, Consol Energy, oh. um, or what would become Consol Energy. And it's called the Weirton Mine section. Uh, they're out there looking around, and this dude, he, uh, this National Guardsman, he looks out and he sees this tree with a, like, kind of a big hole in it. And he's like, well, hole in a tree could be a place you stuff stuff, you know? Yeah. Um, I'm going to go inspect this. I'm going to check it out. And uh, so he grabs a stick. And he goes over and he kind of pokes down into the hole a little bit and there's nothing there, but he's like, well, you know, um, good try, buddy. You know, I thought maybe there was something there. And as he turns, he, uh, he's looking out near that tree and sticking out from under a pile of rocks and leaves appears to be a tangle of dark bone and tattered flesh. Oh dear. And, uh, he goes, Oh, loudy. Yeah. What we have, uh, what he has discovered, are the bodies of Karen and Merritt. They are, there is a split uh, tree. So um, starts with one trunk, then splits into two, uh, making like a big Y. It has fallen down or come down. And underneath, it kind of makes like an arch with the Y, uh, part of the tree. Underneath there are the bodies, which are covered in a bunch of rocks, 
uh, some and the rocks vary in size from pebbles to some were described as being tombstone size rocks that were in that area. Uh, so they start to uncover the bodies. Uh, they are both laying belly down. They are on top of one another. Uh, and the top body is angled slightly. So uh, they couldn't tell if it was like, if the body was originally laid there perfectly and that maybe, you know, with the animals, because animals had gotten to some uh, of the girls. But uh, there were there were two bodies, zero heads. Oh. All right. Um, and the heads were not taken by wildlife. Uh, they the, the corpses were decapitated. Um, they both had were essentially fully clothed. Um, pretty, pretty much the Karen, the smaller of the two, um, Karen was the 411, you know, uh-huh. little, little petite thing. She was on top. Uh, Merritt was on the bottom. Karen on top. All she was missing was one shoe and her black faux fur coat. That's it. Uh, and the shoe, I, I believe, if I remember correctly, um, you know, with the foot sticking out and there was maybe speculation that that one shoe that was missing, that might have been animal mm-hmm. movement because the foot and everything was gonzo. Um, and then Merid on the bottom, she was completely barefoot. Um, she had been wearing fur-lined boots. Now, this is going to come up Later, when we talk about possible theories, uh, because there was a guy who had not long before this picked up a gal in his car in the Morgantown area, Grafton area in that, you know, in between there and uh, really freaked her out to the point that she ran away. And what he kept getting real freaky about was he really, he really liked the fur on her coat. He liked to rub fur. He liked the way he feel on her fingers. And he liked to rub it, kept looking at it like that, freaked her the hell out, and she ran away and, and, and called the law. If it was anything like you just did, it, <laughs> well, it would have been terrifying. Well. Yeah. yeah, sling blade. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, I, and and I tell you that there's going to be a whole section when we talk about the different possible suspects and persons of interest, and we're going to get to that guy and flesh him out a little bit. Uh, but that's why I wanted to add the relevant things that that other than the one shoe, every other piece of clothing that is actually missing is fur Fur. of some kind Hmm. um and the heads and their oh yeah they domes yeah their heads are which are furry yeah Um, also uh just curious mm -hmm. uh, curiosity the location of these bodies any correlation to uh triangles letters i mean like yeah i was gonna say were they exactly 25 miles south of a line of morgantown no if if those directions were followed to the nth degree yes uh no they would not uh, have led to these bodies. Also, I mean, I understand that, you know, we have two females missing. We find two females stacked on top of one another with my sans head. Mm-hmm. Um, how did they identify him? There's obviously no dental records. Had they, did they have prints that on file that they could match? Or were they just like, oh, these are two girls. These are our, uh, our, our I think girls. it might have been prints. I know they were both eventually scientifically positively identified. Okay. And this would have been before DNA. So I'm, I'm assuming it was prints. And they did yeah. say specifically. When, when I was a kid and I was born in the 70s, uh-huh. I remember when I was little, they used to do like fingerprint drives to get your kids', kids fingerprints mm-hmm. on file somewhere. Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, so that is a thing. Yeah, no doubt. And, and actually... 
apparently the position of Karen's body on top of Merritt's body uh, acted as a, a like preservative. Yes. Sort of? A shield for her. Shield for her. So um, other than, you know, here here and there that the, the lower body, Merritt's body was actually really well preserved. Hmm. Um, and so <clears throat> they, now they weren't able to determine a cause of death. Right. Um, they're they're missing the heads and they, you know, at that amount of time, they no, just, they no weren't able stab wounds or ligature marks or whatever. No. Just and again, nothing remarkable on the yeah, fully clothed too, which is not only fully clothed, uh, but I believe it was married. Um, had a cigarette pack in her waistband, uh, where like that's where she kept it. Which, by the way, it sounds like a really cool look, like of just having like a little pack in the waistband that still had some cigarettes in it and seemed relatively undisturbed. So uh, there's at least. The initial thought is it doesn't even look like maybe there was a sex assault. Like, because right. if you if they were assaulted and then their clothes were put back on them or they're forced, but like you, it just you seemed like it was a detail. Back, yeah. Right. yeah, it seemed like a strange detail. So, um, <laughs> the coroner day of day they're finding the bodies. Coroner is out there and he's making statements. He's making statements to the Assuming. press. Assuming. <laughs> he said, "I ain't trying to speculate." But let me tell you if what it happened. was the same day he found the bodies <clears throat> and they're still in the fucking field, he is speculating. Hippies. Oh my god. Hippies. What we got there here is a, a case of dirty what, hippies. What we got here <laughs> is a case of some dirty hippies because and this is a quote. <laughs> the absurdity of this shit is unbelievable. <laughs> LSD sends you on this trip and you can't quit whatever crosses your mind. And they cut off their own heads? No, no. The killer's a hippie. The killer's a hippie the killer on LSD, hippie and he just lost his damn mind on the drugs. And when the when the LSD hippies love animals, hate fur. Mm, maybe that's maybe that's why they got got. Hate uh, Now, the, suspect. So, so now, Number so now one. we know. Now we know we're not dealing with runaway hippies. We're not. We're dealing with murdered girls. Um, but and, murdered by hippies. Well, that the coroner, the coroner goes <laughs> right to the hippies, to right to the God. hippies. I mean, this is this screams Manson. What is so, wrong with these people? Uh, the, it becomes now the large who done it, right? They got to yeah, find something, sure. and and it, it can be this way in cases today. I mean, random acts of violence like this and serial killer stuff. It is even with the science that we have, it's hard yeah, to track because sure. you can't track a motive, you can't track people. It it's hard to do, and even more so back then. And now they're pretty far removed. Now they're months out. Right. This happened in January, and they believe that the body. I mean, this happened like day of. You know that. Well, and everybody knows you can't solve murders more than forty eight hours after they happen. So physically impossible. Right. A and E taught us that. Yes, sir. <laughs> yes, sir. So uh, I, I found this this whole sequence incredibly interesting. Now there are a bunch of suspects, and I'm not going to get into them today. Yes. Um, uh, Trooper Gooden developed uh, many leads, and and the thing is, so few people, so few investigators. He's going, he can barely catch his breath. He's trying to flush out one lead, and he's getting a supervisor calling him, going, "Look at this guy. I like this guy for this. We got this right. thing, you know." And there's tips coming in, and there's so many false tips and things, but. Um, the university decided to help in an interesting way. Bunch of professors from the university through the psychology department and such oh, profiling. decided, right? This is, this is really before the hipness of profiling. They were going to help because they were going to sit down with this trooper 
and tell them what they could decipher about this killer and what they thought this trooper needed to be looking for. Um, so they did their own mini BAU in Morgantown. I'm waiting to hear whether this is more hippie bullshit or whether this is something that will actually help. Uh, I'm so concerned. Neither. I'm so concerned. So, and here's the one, the one beef that I have with this book is it's written in a manner that is um, engaging because it's written like, uh, you know, you're, you're in it and you're observing these conversations that are happening. There's, there's quotations. Um, but how do you attribute quotes to something that happened in the state police barracks in 1970 between two people? You know, that, that, that's just what bothers me. I mean, it reads better because instead of saying they discussed this, what they, they, they kind of narrative nonfiction or something yes, like that, where yes. they just kind of, uh, and I didn't care for that. Yeah. I didn't care for that aspect. Now this particular BAU sesh is described as being recorded audio recorded. So when there are quotes, uh, I'm going to say that maybe Those these accurate. were accurate quotes. Boy, I sure hope so. Um, so there was uh, a lot of speculation and discussion, speculation about why the heads were removed, uh, whether or not the offender was a local or not. Um, Trooper allegedly with the quotations says, Trooper Gooden says, do you think he cut off the heads because that's how he gets his kicks? They all respond, nah, they think it more likely it was the result of a mentally handicapped person attempting to frustrate the police. What? <laughs> I, what? <laughs> what, what? These, what? <laughs> These were psychologists? Yeah, and stuff. Yeah, and psychiatrists and things. I, Smart folk. Educated. What? Again, I wish people could see Ray's face. <laughs> we, we think in our collective <clears throat> professional doctoral academic professorial capacity mm -hmm. that this all was, up in their brains this was the the effort of a dummy <laughs> to foil law enforcement detection this was the effort of a dummy to do smart stuff yeah that was their collective judgment correct correct because, dumb as fuck because he couldn't understand that his directions were not precise Obviously, he is mentally handicapped. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, and but smart enough to hide these bodies and cut their heads off and go without detection for months. Right. I yes. mean, not that he didn't have a huge assist from Morgan Town. Morgan Town. Yeah, thanks, lawman. Well, um, you know, this trooper Gooden, he's a he is a Gooden for sure, uh, because he's kind of like he's there and he's appreciating the help. But when it comes to this theory, he's like, yeah, cool, cool, stupid. cool, cool. Yeah. Uh, uh, but, Thanks for the help. Yeah, yes. I'll leave the cop in me. His, I appreciate your suggestions. The, the, the officer's belief was that perhaps the decapitation, if it weren't for like some kind of sexual gratification or some, you know weird stuff like that, um, could be to disguise the, the method uh, and manner of death. Like perhaps if there were gunshot wounds to the back of their head, right, right, right. Uh, that maybe that would be why. But um, these learned individuals agreed on one thing. The man who wrote the letters was the killer. <laughs> triangle so, did it. Triangle did it. And but hold up. Yeah. <clears throat> I'm not even so sure about that. Yeah, if we got the Zodiac conclusion? killer writing letters right. and these bodies weren't anywhere near where the letters said they'd find the bodies. How do they 
how can they even opine he wrote the letters. that the person who wrote the yeah. letters was the reach? actual killer they... when it had absolutely no pertinent information about the victims other than their names, which had been published in the newspaper. Did they say how do they reach that conclusion? Like they were, they were just that we're just to we're well, just advised not, by not the only book that, that that's one. Not they only thought. that, well, they just looked. They read into him into his psyche, and they thought because they they cautioned him like you don't want to you don't want to upset him. Like the Hulk, like if you if you troll him, if you talk shit about the fact that he didn't accurately describe the location of the bodies, he could kill again, and then we could have a co-ed killer. Well, you know, usually people who abduct and decapitate co-eds, sort of seemingly on a whim, that they're one and done. They would never just <laughs> of their own accord continue to murder. No, yeah. it's right. The letter is what's going to make him do it. Yeah, I you, wouldn't be. You hold on to that theory, detective. You hold on to it. I can't. Uh, <laughs> so. All right. You know, this is perfect because I found a, a, a perfect uh, transition here to get us where we need to be for today. Um, so because of that, uh, state police did seem to embrace that concept that that maybe not 100 percent sure that the guy who wrote the letters was the killer. But they're like the best lead we got right now well, are these was, creepy ass probably letters. True. I mean, I um, and so they got a guy. They got a handwriting guy. And as all these suspects and persons of interest are popping up and popping up, making them write letters, they're all getting writing. They're getting writing samples from all of them and they are sending them to. And I got to name the man because the man was doing work. A Lieutenant West of the West Virginia State Police. Um, Charles West. Mr. Mr. West. Mr. Mr. West of the West Virginia State Police CIB, which I believe would be the Criminal Investigation Bureau. Bureau. Perhaps I mean, that sounds right. Back when before they did BCI. <clears throat> um why would they even change that? If it was CIB, why, why would they change it to BCI just to be dicks? I think there still is a C C CIB, IB, but it's like all it's it's like information, you know, like uh, when you go to get the sex offender file. Yeah, I think stuff. that's who it goes to. CIB. But all they you know do what? Is I think you're right. Compile data. Yeah. yeah, they're not the investigators no more. So to my knowledge. Um, so this guy, this one guy, it, his part of the investigation is they're going to get you hand writing samples. You look at it. You look at it. You look at it. Um sounds awful now in the meantime uh state police get a call about a fella named leroy kroll in cumberland maryland because he fucks around and almost murders this girl tries to murder a girl in cumberland maryland almost cuts her head off oh um like but she survives she's found by some boy boy scouts oh wow um and so west virginia state police get in the car to head on over there was this, was this before 68 Oh, probably before Interstate 68. Anyway, oh, no. um, so you go on over. They go over to Cumberland. So they be driving through Fort Ashby and shit. Yeah, indeed. Yeah. And they're getting over there because they want to interview this dude uh, due to the possible similarities. You got a young girl. You got the same you know, stuff going on. And I remind you, our letters were... <laughs> Of smart. May I remind, May I remind you. you, you are under <laughs> right, and your uh, your honor. <laughs> the postmarks came like from cool Cumberland. Parties. <laughs> Do you like uh, pool parties, please? <laughs> so, so they go in and they interview Mr. Kroll, and uh, they agree he is a super weirdo and dangerous and a criminal. Well, I mean, he did just almost decapitate someone. Yeah, but his polygraph is inconclusive as to uh, anything relating to our West Virginia case. And so the brass, these these crack detectives, this dude just tried to off a bitch. We conclude that he's a criminal. <laughs> right. 
he seems really <laughs> unstable. Well, yeah, you know, guy. he okay, would definitely were... be capable of cutting someone's head off, <laughs> considering he just almost cut, cut someone's, someone's head, head off. Well, okay, so that 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 was my commentary on him. Oh, okay. They they were disgusted by him, but they they weren't really like he ain't our guy. Oh, we think this is the guy. They're like, I mean, I guess it could be, but they weren't they weren't gung ho. But hmm. uh, the brass at state police sends our man Lieutenant West over to Cumberland. And they want to get a writing sample from this Kroll guy. But more so than that, listen to this assignment, Ray. They're going to put him up at the Maryland State Police Barracks in Cumberland. Maryland State Police is going to be a G and let him let him camp out there. And he is to review the voter registration rolls Ugh. for Cumberland, Maryland and compare because that was all done by hand in the time. Oh, no. And he is to card by card. Compare handwriting samples for every every registered, registered voter. to vote. Yes, in, in Cumberland, Cumberland, Maryland. Yes, ma'am. Oh my God! That was the task of of Lieutenant West. God bless that man. Indeed, and I, that's why I just I've got to name him because Poor man bastard. man was just doing it. So he gets over there and he's getting he's getting squared away in his little cubicle area at the Maryland State Police barracks. And he looks over at the water cooler and there's some there's some Maryland State Police LTs over there sipping sipping agua. And uh, he goes, he's a bit frustrated, you know, with the tasks he's got over there. He's a little grumpy, a little grumpy. And he throws file over to him and he goes, hey. Look at that. Tell me, tell me if you think that uh, that handwriting looks like something you've seen before. Just shot in the dark. Well, the lieutenant at the water cooler throws out a, yo, Aaron, you remember those three weirdos from last year? And the weirdos is a direct quote. <laughs> the A-Aaron is not. <laughs> <laughs> but do you remember those three weirdos from last year? That is a direct quote in the book. Uh, A-Aaron's response, show do. Um, so the other guy goes, uh, the other Maryland police, he goes and he picks out this file and he hands it to uh, our Lieutenant West. And Missile West. Missile West. Now, when he called these fellows weirdos, this is what he means. There were individuals in this other case that were called themselves students of psychic science. They had themselves a church that they called the Psychic Science Church. Jesus Christ. Could be described as a religious cult. They had tried to, quote, help with a prior case in Cumberland. Um, with a psychicness. Oh. <laughs> and in this file were letters from the psychic science church folks trying to help law enforcement in that particular case. And they thought the same thing that everybody else did when those letters came in in that case was this guy, these people are involved in this, but they tracked it down. And Maryland in their case had figured out who these folks were. Um, so they had the letters in their file. They hand them to Lieutenant West. Lieutenant West stands there, pulls them out, looks lefty righty and goes, we found our ghostwriter. This, whoever wrote these letters in your file wrote the letters in our file. So they was just trying to help them out with their psych, quote unquote, psychic abilities to let them know where they believed these bodies were going to be. And then after they found them, they would come forward and accept the glory for their psychic abilities. The glory and perhaps the mounting reward for information leading to <laughs> uh, any arrest. Well, or, okay. So. Yes. There goes that. So the only real like 
focus of the investigation was always just like, no matter what, we're talking to these people, we're talking to these people, but this case is going to break on these letters. These cases going to... No, it ain't. <laughs> no, it ain't. And by the way, the leader of that organization is an R. Warren Hoover. He is the actual author of the letters. Uh, he later on tried to say that he did in fact assist in the finding of the bodies, which is uh, not particularly accurate. He had a, it was south of Morgantown, so he had that in the letter. It was south. Well, did they publish in the newspaper that the purse was found south of Morgantown? I believe they did. They did. Yeah. Yeah. And they published it prior to the date of his letter because I believe they published it April sixth, and his right. first letter was April eight. Right. He is not. So he's trying to. He's just trying to up the bidding. On the reward there and then cash in. He is not helpful and not psychic. Yep. Yep. Hmm. So uh, I I will tell you this. So it seemed like a big, big kick in the gonads for this investigation. Right. You have this thing that you think is good. Now what you think you have is nothing. They've got some suspects, some interesting ones uh, like the fur dude and persons of interest. Um, But ultimately, this case doesn't take a super big, massive turn until 1976. January. Oh, wow. Six years after the disappearance, an inmate incarcerated in Camden, New Jersey, happens to run his mouth and claim that he killed and beheaded some co-heads years earlier. That man's name is Eugene Paul Clausen. He would eventually be tried not once but twice for the WVU co-ed murders. The only thing we can say for certain is that Mr. Clausen is a bad, bad man. Did he kill these girls? Did he? We'll talk about that next time. Nice. Mm. Indeed. So many questions. All yeah, the right. questions. That's what we I call a cliffhanger. Folks. Can't wait to keep digging into this. Did, one. Did, okay. I'm going to ask this question though, just <laughs> yeah. because it, I don't know whether you're going to answer it later. And if you are, just tell me that you are. Mm-hmm. Did the police withhold any information about the condition of these bodies from the press? That's true. So people so could that come it would forward. make it impossible for someone to come forward and have certain details that only they knew about. Whether it was intentional or not, I believe that yes, they did withhold. Um, There just wasn't, times were a little bit different back then. And I don't think that the public demanded the detail as much that we have like, what was missing or this boot or that boot? Like all that kind of stuff was not reported on at at the time. What what articles of clothing were missing? And and what was reported was um, there was a lot of incorrect stuff, even in the, Oh, here's the other thing I found. The Dominion Post. Yeah. There were two papers. The Domin- something Dominion and the something Post. And then they became one. The Dominion oh, how Post. About that? The merger. The merger. How about that? Uh, and uh, in the Dominion Post, a whole bunch of wrong stuff. Uh, said that they were naked, that they were laying side by side. All <laughs> well, this other kind of stuff. What did the Daily Antonym say about it? Well, you know they were on it. Yeah, they got it right. <laughs> they got it right. But so, yeah. So I don't know if it was intentional for that reason, which, you know, they, they do a lot of that today. Uh, I don't know if that was intentional or not, but it, the facts were not out. Okay, um, so that there were some things about this that not everyone knew. That if someone came forward with that information, they would be like, "This might be something." Yeah, they 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 on it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I just wonder because it seemed like they were sharing everything about everything. <clears throat> right. Yeah. And I I, that's like, why I don't know if it was intentional or not, or just the fact that maybe in 1970 you didn't put all the gory details about decapitated coeds in the paper. I don't know. Yeah. Right. Um, I mean, either way, hopefully it works out for him. We'll see. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. yeah, we shall see indeed. Word. So with that, with yes. that, until next time, y'all stay out of trouble.
motherfuckers, it's, it's the winter time. You. We about to flip the script on them. Yeah. We about to cut this motherfucker short. And you are going to be down a man for the <laughs> remainder of this podcast. You sharpen these motherfuckers. We got wings. It's winter time. Y'all ain't know what's up. We about to fucking duck y'all. Like, what's up? So, okay. Springtime, baby. Springtime. Springtime. Spring Flash y'all ass. Spring what's up? Okay, we are at the top of the ring. Okay, all right. Tell me how it turns.